Hey people, welcome back to series three of Not Another Sales Podcast. My name is Chris Atfield. I'm the founder and coach of Sales Psyche, a company focused on supporting and developing sales and commercial teams, mental health, well-being, and performance. This podcast aims to look at the world of sales through a different lens, providing not just the tactics, but also the mindset of what makes it successful. This series, I'm asking guests, what's one thing they suggest you try, avoid, and keep doing to be successful? whether that's as a rep, leader, or organization. So let's get started. On today's episode, I'm joined by Jeff Bajorak, consultant, author, and podcast host at Parabola Consulting, host of the Why and the Buy podcast, and a contributing author at Sales Hacker. And in this episode, Jeff and I cover a variety of topics from this perception of winning and why it can be a dangerous thing within the world of sales, finding the less noisy places to prospect and how to utilize it, the power of no and death of maybe, the evolution of buying, going from buyers not knowing enough to having too much information and how you can support them in that. And also talking about limiting beliefs, false stories, and putting more thought into the sales process. So sit back and enjoy. Jeff, welcome. How are we doing? No, better now that I'm here. <laughs> yeah, and thank you so much for putting some some time aside for this. I've been a, a big fan of, of what you've been doing and seeing a number of collabs of you and Jason Bay. So looking forward to to picking your brains directly. Uh, yeah. Jason lets me hang out with them. That's my favorite part about him. So, um, <laughs> we all need a bit of that. Don't we? Particularly in lockdown over the last year, someone who just lets us hang out with someone. That's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> it's the job spec. Um, so Jeff, for people who are tuning in, um, and might be listening to you for the first time, it'd be great to give them some context as to who you are and your, your origin story before we kick off. Um, hi, my name's Jeff and I'm in sales. Um, that's my favorite way to introduce myself. Um, I am a husband, a father, a salesman, an occasional golfer. Um, not as occasional as I'd like. Um, I need to play more golf, but I, I help salespeople and organizations perform better. Right? I've got a consulting company. It's really just me. It's fun to say I have a company. It's really just me. Um, and I come in and I help organizations get unstuck. I help salespeople get unstuck. I help them get to where they want to go, either by showing them things that um, they didn't realize were possible and, and helping them take those steps or by showing them things that they're not recognizing that are getting in their way. Mm, great, great. We're looking forward to to digging into some of that, uh, to what you've shared. And, and one of the big focuses around this podcast is is talking around from, particularly from a sales perspective, around that kind of mindset, mental mm-hmm. health and well-being point of view. And we've got resilience in the title, but I think it's one of those words that gets used a lot more, probably even in the last year, but can mean many different things to different people. Sure. So when you hear the word resilience, what, what does it mean to you personally? I think it means pushing through. I think it means um, patience. I think it means diligence. I think it means persistence. I think it means um, knowing what is right and doing the right thing, despite the fact that it's harder than you thought it would be. Hmm. And when it comes to, I suppose, that term, that definition, has that been something you've always sort of felt has come quite naturally to you or... If not, what was like the old, the old Jeff like before that? Ooh, um, <clears throat> I was never, well, let's just say I'm a better loser now than I was when I was a kid. And my dad actually helped me with that perspective. I remember playing little league and crying after every loss. I was a good ball player. I played on good teams and, um, 
I remember my dad pulling me aside. It was one year, I think he was my coach. And he was like, listen, if you're going to have that kind of attitude over a baseball game, we, we got to, we got to, we're going to have words. And I'm going to sit you on the bench if you're going to act this way. He's like, look, you're going to lose sometimes. You're going to win a lot. You're going to lose sometimes. If you don't learn how to lose as well as you know how to win, you're going to have a hard time. And I didn't realize literally until right now, Chris, as we're talking that, you know, what kind of an impact that made on me as a, gosh, what was I, fourth grade or sixth grade or something like that? Like, you know, my kid's age, I was 10-ish, right? Mm. And, um, you know, that that I remember very, very specifically in, in you know, look, so I guess, I guess my younger, my single digit years, yeah, I was a terrible loser. Um, now it's not so much about losing as much as it's about and being better at losing because I don't do it that often. I don't lose that often. But when you have the perspective of, the bumps in the road are there for a reason. There are going to be peaks. There are going to be valleys. And the way you handle yourself when you are in those peaks is going to prevent the valleys. And the way you handle yourself in the inevitable valleys is going to influence how quickly you return to a peak. And, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of talk about resilience, as you mentioned, over the last year or so. There aren't very many people listening to your show. There aren't very many people in sales right now who sold through the last global economic downturn. I did. And I learned a lot about resilience there. I learned a lot about forcing yourself to trust the process because when things out of your control change the end result, you have to stick with the things that are within your control that have worked in the past. And I'm not saying that old dogs can't learn new tricks. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, you have to be able to adapt and learn and grow. But look, if you're doing things that are leading to consistent success, and then also, all of a sudden something out of your control happens, like a global pandemic, and takes the rug out from underneath you, that doesn't mean that you need to change what you're doing. You have to take a look at what you're doing, see if it still applies. You always need to do that. But don't you know, all of a sudden, uh, take responsibility th for things that you can't control and then throw yourself uh, off kilter and make things go even further sideways because now you're doing things that aren't working in an environment that requires consistency. So, I mean, resilience and persistence and perspective, but resilience, it goes hand in hand with perspective. If you don't have an appreciation for that larger scope, that larger window, that larger, uh, view of things. It's really easy to make rash, poor decisions. And, mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I, I think resilience requires a ton of patience and a lot of perspective and some yeah. people don't have that, right? Look, I'm 41 years old at the time of this recording. I'm 41 years old. Um, 31 year old Jeff didn't have this kind of perspective. 21 year old Jeff didn't have anything close to this kind of perspective. And so if you're listening to this right now, you're early in your sales career, you don't know which end is up. You're just kind of freaking out. Find someone who's been there before. Ask them what they learned the last time they went through this and ask them to distill those lessons for you as well as they possibly can. And not everybody's good at it, but ask them to distill those lessons for you as well as they possibly can. So you can learn and apply yourself. Yeah. Yeah, wise words there. It's it's such a good point you make around perspective because I think so often in, in sales, the most anxiety and stress we cause ourselves is either thinking about what has happened or what is going to happen. And mm -hmm. a lot of the time, if you lack that self-awareness, it's not being in the moment enough and present to actually influence, as you talk about, the controllables. Because all we end up thinking is 
oh, you know, what happened last month or what happened last quarter? Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, that went all wrong. Or we've got this meeting coming up or what happens if they say this? What happens if they do that as well? You you can't control that, but you can control a lot of things that can lead up to that. And it's just, it sounds, you know, I just sometimes, I still do this to this day. If I'm having one of those days where I'm just feeling like my headspace isn't right, I'll get a, a bit of paper and just draw one side controllable, another side uncontrollable and just mm. get everything down on a bit of paper. And it's just good to reflect on it and go, that, what I can't do anything about it. And the more you think about it, the more your brain convinces yourself that you can. So then you get more frustrated. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting you say that because um, I'm taking a lot of my workshops and I'm putting them in a, in an online uh, course format um, just for um, not really scalability. I'm not in the business of selling online courses, Chris. I don't want anything to do with that. But um, when it comes to client stuff, you know, if you can present things virtually, then you can do better work together when you're actually in um, those group settings together. So um, that's kind of a different strategy I'm taking. And I don't mean to divert from the point, but I recorded a lesson yesterday on exactly what you said. Like what led to your situation right now? What is it that you're trying to either turn around or where is this platform that you're dissatisfied with that you want to grow from? What led to where you are right now? Is it something you did or is this, is it not something you did? Is it not, is it, is it this global pandemic or is it just an economic downturn in your particular industry segment? Or did your company have a massive PR issue that, you know, lost it, that, that forced your customers to lose faith in your company and not even you? Like what, what are those things? And if those things happen that were outside of your control, the first thing you need to do and the best thing you can do for yourself is let yourself off the hook. It doesn't mean that you still don't have work to do. But tr working to try to control that which you cannot is not going to be fruitful. Controlling mm. the things that you can control is going to lead to progress. And if you have to create, or I'm sorry, if you have to create solutions or, or fix some of the, the things that got you into this situation because you put yourself there, all right. Um, well, even in that case, slap yourself on the wrist. Right? Like literally, like, I don't even know if you could hear me. That's how hard I want you to slap yourself on your wrist. It's over. It's done with. Where are we right now? How are we moving forward? And, you know, so maybe you have to correct some mistakes that you made. Maybe you have to correct some mistakes that other people made, but blaming whoever caused your poor situation right now does absolutely zero things to help you get out of it. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. I think a, a big thing which sort of triggered in my mind there is this idea between like fault and responsibility. Mm. Um, and I think this also applies a lot to, to sales leaders and sales managers. It's all very well passing fault on someone, but that is a moving thing forwards as you were just talking about there. You can take responsibility for something that wasn't your fault and you should do because a lot of the time it isn't your fault. <laughs> mm -hmm. Particularly as a manager or leader or even a, as a, you know, as you were talking about there, some things outside of your control and, fault will just dwell on the past and, and just point fingers yes. and blame whereas responsibility will actually okay how do we move forward from this it's happened we, we can't do anything about it so right. let's let's think forward think around it and i think you know more leaders can kind of do that uh, rather than just sort of pointing fingers sometimes even indirectly without having to name people yeah um and just think well I've, i'm here for my team so it's my responsibility we win as a team we lose as a team and it's my responsibility to support them either way hundred percent, hundred percent. The other point you mentioned earlier is quite interesting. You said about winning and losing and, and not being comfortable with losing. And you, it doesn't happen often very now. Uh, doesn't happen often now, very now. Um, 
is it's interesting because I've I've started to I read a great book a few years ago now, like The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. Um and sort of thinking about, you know, the, the challenge is if we see everything as a win or a loss, when we lose, we can feel like the the game is over. And I think a big thing is training your mind to realize that these things aren't losses. They're not you haven't failed because you haven't given up, like just because you haven't hit your number or you haven't got through to that person, you haven't right. lost. You're you're still playing. And I think it's just mm. getting people to remind themselves of that rather than thinking that it's definitive end. And therefore, at the time, you sometimes feel like nothing's going to change. I'm here forever. I'm never going to be able to get through to this person or I'm never going to hit my number in it. Like you say, what we're circling around here is that procrastination and just lack of perspective. It's, it's really interesting. I think um, with regard to perspective and with regard to giving up, you know, Zig Ziglar, I think, was the person who said this. You know, he was asked, when should I give up calling on my prospects? Right. And he said, uh, well, if you know you can help them, then you give up when either they die or you die. <laughs> and then one more call, I think is what he said. And, and the, you know, um, and that sounds old school. It sounds, you know, um, awfully uh, annoying. Right. But it's like, hold on. Zig also said, if you know you have a, a way that you can help someone, then you have a moral obligation to do so. And, and I'll amend that and I'll say you owe, you have a moral obligation to at least express to them exactly how you believe they can be helped by you. And if they just choose that you're not for them, then okay, move on. Right. But like when it comes to your dream prospects, like why should you ever, why should you ever give up? Like if you know you have a problem to solve, the, the, the pieces fit together in the puzzle. You just got to figure out the right way to put them together. That takes time sometimes. Most salespeople, though, give up to their on their average prospects after two or three attempts. I called them mm. twice. They didn't call me back. They must not want to hear from me. Or they're waiting you out because they don't think that they need to pay attention to you because they know that most sales reps give up after two calls. Chris, you do this. I know you do this. I do this. Someone's reaching out to you. They want to be a guest on your podcast, right? Or someone's reaching out to you because they want you to buy something or whatever. We've all been there. And um, sometimes I just, it's bad timing. Sometimes I see something. I'm like, oh, that actually sounds pretty interesting. Can't get to that right now. Too many other things going on. I'll tell you what. It's interesting, but not life-changing for me. I'd be interested in hearing more. We'll see if this guy calls again. We'll see if this guy reaches out to me again. I'm going to... Want to see how, all right, how important is it to them? Or did they just give me an idea that now I have the idea? Well, I'll bet they're not the only ones in town. I'm going to go look around now when I do get a minute. So on my time, I'm not going to just call this guy back. I don't know if he's any good. I know he'll, I know if he calls me back four more times, I'm probably going to respond in some way. If he sends me four more emails, probably going to respond in some way. And I'll tell you what, even the really bad outreach if I get four messages in a row that are just bad, I'll respond and I'll say, dude, your outreach is killing me. Like, you re- are you winning with this? Are you really winning with this? It's, um, and then it, that even starts a conversation. But th- that's the kind of perspective that I have now that I didn't have 10 years ago, that I didn't have, you know, even six or seven years ago. Um, you need to adjust your expectations appropriately so that you set yourself up to succeed. I mean, I, I, I told you, I don't fail very often. I don't lose very often. Well, it's because I put myself in position to win a lot. And that's a lot of what 
um, selling is. But um, if, if, you know, I, I think another thing that I've learned particularly recently is um, a no response is better than no response. Yeah, that's actually that's actually pretty clever. Um, you know, if I, I've, I've just I've never said it that way before. <laughs> any <laughs> response, any response, even a no, is is better than no response because it takes energy. You've got their attention. And someone asked yeah. me today. They they, they said, uh, you know, I reached out and they said they weren't interested. I said, congratulations, you have now graduated to dialogue from monologue. What are you <laughs> going to do with this? You know, like, wow, I'm really surprised that you're not interested because companies like yours tend to have these problems. That's what I'm trying to talk to you about. Either you don't see this as a problem or you do and you've already corrected it. I'm curious how you got over it. It'd be tremendous help. And now you can start a conversation. That's all you wanted anyway, right? Yeah. I, yeah. So I could keep going on this thread, Chris, but yeah, I think perspective is just so important and it helps you mm. um, judge whether or not that was the end of the road or just a bump in it. Yeah. There, there was a, I heard someone say once, if yes, no, maybe we're in a race. Um, yes and no would be joint first and maybe it'd be a long way behind mm. because, you know, again, it's like, you know, or maybe or no, no, no feedback at all. Whereas you kind of just want to qualify people out or qualify people in. And, you know, it, it depends on that. You know, it's, it's taken on face value. Of course, you want to handle objections and so on. But sure. um, I think a, a no can be just as valuable to mm -hmm. to um, ensure you're investing your time in the right way. And also, the other thing you mentioned earlier about people will give up or two or three times. Like when, my first sales job was a door-to-door, 100% commission only, selling loft and cavity wall and solar panels. And in mm -hmm. my head, to your point, I was like, do you know what? Everyone deserves this because it is going to be saving them money. Like it's going to, and also it was free for people over 70. So I was like, well, this is like, mm -hmm. why wouldn't they want to speak to me? So I'm knocking on people's doors, just thinking, look, you, you need to hear this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here to help you. And I think the challenge when people give up after two or three times is they're too focused on what they sell and not the, what the problem they solve. Mm, um, they get so too good. immersed. They get too immersed in, oh, well, they're not going to buy this. But if you're thinking about like, to your point, the problem you solve and you feel like, you know, you can solve that problem. You've seen the results from your company, then why wouldn't you want to call this person? I think that can come across in your communication, your tone, your emails, your messaging, like videos, um, with that kind of real kind of conviction. Mm -hmm. um, and it also links to what uh, I did a post a few weeks ago, actually. I think I saw uh, one of your newsletters that was quite similar about are you being pestering or are you being persistent yeah. mm -hmm. and the kind of difference between the two. So, yeah, I think what you've mentioned there, um, some really relevant points for people to to pay attention to. It's so often the the narrative is, well, I don't want to be like all those other sales reps are just calling all the time. And, you know, I want to give them a little space between my calls and I don't want to bug them. And, you know, they get calls from crappy salespeople all the time. I'm like, then don't be crappy. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, you know, okay, you're right. You have two answers there. You have, you have two ways that you can differentiate yourself from those crappy salespeople. You can just not call as often of, as those salespeople, or you can be better than those salespeople, right? Like, this is not that. This is not that difficult. This comes down to sitting down for an hour or two with your team, deciding on what your cadence should look like as a team, right? What are 15 to 20 touches that we can pull off over the next four to six weeks? And not because we need to use all 20, 
but because we like to have a menu of how we can proceed and actually keep some thought process going throughout this execution process. But people give up after three times because selling and prospecting for them is an improv experiment. It's an improv exercise. It's I'm going to pick up the phone and see if I can get on and get a hold of someone who can make a decision. All right, well, what are you going to tell them? Well, we want to sell them this thing. Well, okay, but you're going to sell them this thing over the phone in the middle of the day? Like, wait, hold on. Oh, no, I'm going to schedule a meeting. But okay, well, why should they meet with you? Well, because we have this great thing. Nope, that's a you issue. What is in it mm. for them? Oh, well, we can solve this problem. How? Well, we do it this way. Okay, how's that different from your competitors? Well, it's different in this way. Okay, how can you differentiate your language from your competitors? Okay, well, then, then this way. Now we're working, right? And now it's like, okay, well, if you've got three primary differentiators, then what are three questions you can ask that will start a conversation about why those differentiators are valuable? Okay, so you have three differentiators times three questions, you have nine questions. Can we extend that to four questions per? Now we've got 12 questions, right? And questions are conversation starters, Statements are conversation enders. So in your prospecting, are you leading with questions or are you leading with statements? Well, what are you trying to do? You're trying to make a sale or you're trying to open a conversation? Okay, now we're thinking a little bit differently about what it is that we do. We're a little more patient. We have more perspective. We realize that prospecting is about being known as someone worth talking to with something worth talking about. And we can use you know, we, we use our best judgment during, in this new framework mm. about how to, how to move forward. And all of a sudden those 12 touches that you came together with as a group, right? And you're all using some version of them. And those 20 touch points might be a voicemail followed by an email. That's two, right? I called today to talk about this. Sorry, I missed you leaving you this voicemail message. Don't feel compelled to return it. I'd actually rather you check your email. I just, did you hear that? I just clicked and sent to your inbox. It should arrive by the time I hang up. There's a document in there I'd like you to review. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about. So you can either call me back or you can reply to that email. And we'll schedule a meeting to discuss this. I think it's really going to impact your business. Uh -huh. Okay. Like that's two touch points. You can't do that once a week. You can't do that twice a week. You don't have 10 things that support the value proposition that you have. You don't have 10 support pieces or, or, um, you know, uh, I saw a really clever term for these the other day and I'm just forgetting what it is, but I mean, supporting documentation content, come on, all the platforms out there that'll provide you with content. Okay. If you don't have that, then spend an hour on the internet. Everybody on your team, spend an hour on the internet and come up with three unique pieces that support like, come on guys. Right. Like let's stop treating selling as an improv exercise. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the point you made around um, voicemails, I think you and Jason were talking about this, about mm -hmm. it being such a, an impactful way. And I think sometimes we can get into our head that we've got to be very careful when we're selling that we're not just making assumptions on how everyone else buys compared is how we buy because we might right. be like oh I, don't, I never listen to my voicemails well that doesn't mean other people don't or oh, i never read my emails properly or i never do this it's like well that doesn't mean your your buyers aren't going to and and also if, if no one's doing it then it's even better because there's less noise so that when someone does do it it's like something different it's not like and also 
you know, for me, like for my podcast to try and get some of my guests or when I've been prospecting for sales psyche, I've gone on Twitter and tweeted people because I know it's less noisy over there than LinkedIn where they probably get 30 or 50 messages a day. It's just right. finding out and not making an assumption based on your own opinion. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Like, it's, it's interesting. I don't scroll on social media very often. Um, I was getting my uh, website redone uh, recently and I was talking to, um, actually, no, it was separate from my website being done. I was talking to a friend of mine who was doing, uh, she's got a marketing agency and she needed to, uh, as part of a project she was working on, she needed to interview 50 small business owners. She's like, so who do you follow? I said, you know what? A lot of people, but nobody at the same time. And she laughs. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't really scroll. There's no one I tune into to see every week. And, you know, Chris, it sounds arrogant to say this, but fortunately, most of the people that a lot of salespeople are following are friends of mine now. And I don't follow them. I have a question. I call. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, hey, you know what? I know that you, you've, uh, you know, uh, struggled with this in the past or you've overcome this in the past. Like I just ran into this roadblock in my business. Hey, what did you do about this? And I won't drop any names here because that's just kind of arrogant. But it's like, yeah, I'll tell you what, in most cases, if you think of the name, I can make that call and it'll get returned. So it's like, I don't follow anybody, right? I'm too busy with my head down, um, you know, but I know that the people I'm trying to reach are following people. Mm. Right? I also know that a lot of those people have their heads down. I also know that there's a lot of people out there that are doing great work that I've never even heard of. So like, you know, I mean, you have to draw on your own experience, but you can't get locked in to that experience. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you gotta, again, it comes back to perspective. It comes back to, Hey, you know, there are more than one way there are, there are more than one right way. There is more than one right way to, to do something. So, you know, cold calling is dead. Long live cold calling. You've heard that for the last, <laughs> you know, 10 years or so. It's, it's, um, well, I never pick up my phone. Okay. Well, I've got two answers for you. Other people do. So depending on the industry you send, sell into, uh, you may want to pay attention to that. And, um, maybe you're using the phone not to get them to pick up, but just as another touch point, cause you know, they're going to listen to that voicemail. Well, I don't listen to my voicemail. Okay. How many voicemails do you get and how many emails do you get every day? I just want to ask, one of those numbers is tremendously larger than the other. So where are you most likely to be able to differentiate? Mm -hmm. Think about it. And as long as your number isn't being marked potential spam by, you know, your, by that person's iPhone, I'll tell you what, I will start to recognize the numbers that call consistently. May not answer it the first yeah. time, may not answer it the fourth time, but the fifth or sixth time, it's like, this number keeps coming up. All right. Well, are they leaving a voicemail message? If you don't leave a voicemail message, I'll never call you back. Does it take that long? Mm. Okay. Um, we're getting off topic here. That's This isn't a prospecting uh, tactic <laughs> uh, uh, podcast here, but I mean, just let's let's expand our mind and not be so frustrated by the one thing that we're trying that isn't working. The pieces fit. How do you put them together the right way? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just to add to that, that kind of theme you're talking about there, one thing, if, for example, you know, some people aren't in the office at the moment, just try grabbing their work email, stick it in iMessage, see if the phone number comes up. Mm -hmm. There you go. Call that. <laughs> right. There's not many, many other people are doing it. If it's not on their signature or not available, then even more so. Um, right. I don't think there's any anything wrong with that at all. We're, we're, going back to what you said earlier about, um, you know, we get, people approaching us for the pod and you get people trying to sell to you 
if you think back, what was the last time that you felt like someone sold to you effectively? And this could be from your business, it could be from a personal perspective, but what was it that when you bought something that you thought they did that really well, or maybe not necessarily bought, but went down that kind of sales cycle with them? Wow. It's been a while. It's been a while. And, uh, you know, part of that is um, due to the pandemic and we just haven't bought a lot of stuff. If anything, I've purchased, you know, tools and apps and things like that to help me, you know, with my business. And and, uh, that's really where, I mean, the overwhelming amount of my attention has been, has been Mm. on the business. I will, I can think of a um, a sales call I had recently actually with a company that used to service my lawn. They used to fertilize my lawn, you know, once a month or whatever it was, six times over the summer. And uh, their internal communications were terrible. And so there were things that they put on my lawn that I specifically told them not to. And their response was, oh, don't worry about it. It was just more convenient for us because um, we had this route and optimized our route. So we just won't charge you for that stuff. And I said, no, you, you don't understand. Um, I told you specifically that I didn't want that. That was for a reason. It wasn't because I'm a cheap ass. <laughs> okay. It wasn't because I didn't want to pay for it. It's because I didn't want it. And uh, they dropped that ball a couple of times and then I canceled them. And then they called me again a couple of years later. And I said, here's the thing, guys, I loved your service and the lawn looked great when you were done with it. I really appreciated my tech and the feedback you gave me. I had to cut my lawn a little longer and, and everything. Um, I said, but you guys put stuff on my lawn that we didn't want and I need that to stop. Oh, we've got it in the notes, sir. We've made that adjustment. Really apologize. You know, we're under new leadership now and all this stuff. And then um, a year later, they dropped the ball again and gave me stuff that I didn't want. I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. Forget it. And um, so this, this woman called just a month or so ago. And she did a really nice job and she overcame my objections and was really, she really kept the conversation going. And I told her that I said, you're doing a really nice job of keeping this conversation going. I'm still going to tell you no, because I'm not going to let strike three happen because I know regardless of what you're telling me on the phone, I've been told all this before and it still turned out the same way, but she did a really nice job of keeping the conversation going by, you know, redirecting that conversation back to what I could experience as a benefit. Um, didn't end up buying from her, but it, it was, um, because I've got a better system in place now than, than what was available a few years ago. But, um, yeah, there aren't very many, I I think, you know, great sellership should get rewarded. And I try to do that, um, at every possible opportunity. Um, but, uh, there isn't a whole lot of it out there. And and I go back to something that a a manager told me very early on in my career. He said, Jeff, there is a startling amount of mediocrity out there that disguises itself as success. If you can just execute regularly, you're going to be fine. But I see the talent that you have. You could grow into something special. Just continue to do good work. Um, yeah, there isn't a lot of it out there. Yeah. Well, well, to your point though, even though you didn't buy from her, I think you said, you know, you made it clear that it was a no, you weren't going to go forward with it, which is, as we are talking about before, just as valuable sure. as opposed to you going, oh yeah, give me a call back in a couple of weeks and then again and again, and, and you're not going anywhere. Well, at least they know. They're like, right, right that's, that's a good outcome because you've got a decision. Right. And um, who says that? Give point. me a I'm I'm not interested right now, but call me again in a couple of weeks. Who says yeah. that? Right. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes have some fun when people say like, oh, can you send me some information? Or, and I go, look, 
Jeff. I'll be honest. Um, and you know, no offense taken if it is, but when people say that to me, sometimes what they really mean is, look, I don't want to speak to you, or now is definitely not the right time, and there's other things going on. Does that sound like the kind of thing here? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, or no, no, no. I definitely want, I definitely want an email. And you're like, well, okay, what would you want in the email? What kind yeah. of information do you want in there? So, and yeah, no. I think it's just. Um, <laughs> And now all of a yeah. sudden you're having a sales call, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now you do have time to talk. Yeah. Um, but to your um, to your point as well, I think it's always interesting, isn't it? Because even it, despite people like ourselves, obviously in the sales world, we always are always quite mindful of that uh, when we're being sold to. Um, I think what a great sales experience is, it doesn't feel like a sales experience. Right. You know, when you think about things like that, when you've bought a good a holiday or something like that, you've been to the travel agent, no one finishes buying that and goes, you know what, unless we're in the kind of sales mind that we are, goes, oh, my God, they sold to me so well. They did such a good job. We give ourselves the credit going, look at all this amazing, look at this amazing decision I did, look at this amazing deal I got. But if it goes wrong, that's when we blame the salesperson. Right. Um, so it's kind of like when it's a good experience, the reason why sales gets a bad rap is because people don't see it as a sales. They see it as a good personal choice and a good personal experience like a service experience rather than a sales experience and i think it's just being mindful of that is as soon as it starts to feel like selling that's when you've kind of gone off track because to our point earlier you're not solving the problem you're trying to sell your product or solution every interaction either creates or erodes trust in the relationship and i agree with what you're saying um but i, I think it's very you have to be very careful about heeding that advice because while every great sales experience feels like a great customer experience, not every great customer experience creates a sale. And those are not yeah. mutually, those are mutually exclusive terms. So you can't just say, oh, we're a customer service or, uh, organization now, not a sales organization. Well, okay, you're not going to sell much, right? <laughs> because you know what else creates a great customer or, uh, experience? When a, sales when a salesperson takes the lead, shows the prospect the way, shows the prospect what becomes possible by working with them, and then shows them and empowers them to take those steps. To, to, to make those mm. changes happen, right? Um, your prospects are begging to be led. I don't buy this, this idea that every prospect knows exactly what they want before they call you. And I see the research. The research says that increasing number of Gen Xers, Gen, or not Gen Xers, I'm Gen X, of millennials and Gen Z are um, wanting to avoid salespeople at all costs in their buying process. I'm like, yes, yeah, because there's a lot of terrible salespeople out there. I think I agree with them, but you give me a good salesperson. And I want that. I crave that. I want to be shown what these meaningful differentiators are. When I go to buy a piece of software, you know, I was looking for streaming software recently. Got no help. I asked some friends what they used, put them all up next to each other. And it's all, you know, I'm like, I don't know what the, they, this is on a different pricing tier than this one. Like, I don't know why, why is that valuable? I, and no one's willing to walk me through that. They're assuming that I know what I want. You know what I want? I want something that's reliable. I want something that's going to have some things that make me look a little bit more professionally prepared than I probably am because I'm still a newbie when it comes to this stuff. And um, I, I want it to, to be easy. And, you know, I'd like it to not cost $1,000 a month, please. Right. I'd like to see if I can get some ROI on this. But anybody who would have been willing to guide me through that would have won a deal. Right. Yeah. But everything is so like we're going to be so far removed from this you know, forcing me into this does not make it a good 
customer experience. Just because you're hands off doesn't mean you provided me with a great customer experience. And so let's be careful about the, the difference between a customer experience and a sales experience. And I agree with you that a great sales experience becomes a great customer experience, but it's not because you tried to make no. every sales experience a warm and fuzzy uh, interaction. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's such a good point. I totally agree with the other point you made there as well about um, people wanting to be led because before it's kind of gone to the opposite end of the spectrum before like 34 years ago, people didn't have information. So no. they wanted to be led because they didn't. Now we've got so much of it, as you've just talked about there, we're at the other end of the spectrum that we still need to be led in a different way to kind of decipher through it all. And I think, you know, when you're, when reps are looking to have these kind of discovery calls, it's sort of, when I was talking to Scott Barker about this, mm -hmm. um, just thinking how you can actually, you know, how can you build some insight in there and help them make sense of their world from like an industry perspective before you even get to what you sell, but just help them decipher exactly what's going on and some of the, the things just to help them understand it more before they then dive in and make a, a buying decision around it. Cause that's why a lot of people obviously aren't getting to, to the, to the sign off process at the moment is because they just feel a bit overwhelmed by it and they think, Oh, we'll, we'll leave it. And then obviously there's a problem there, but they're not seeing it. They're not understanding it. They don't want to feel inferior to it. Um, so they kind of just park it. Yep. No decision. Your biggest competitor is the status quo. Make no Make, make no bones about it. Make no mistake. Your biggest competitor is the status quo. And when you create a, an environment where, or when your industry sector creates an environment where there's confusion around the decision, you had better be there to lend support and give a lifeline to the person trying to make that decision. Because um, where there's confusion, there is inaction. Those two go hand in hand, much like perspective yeah. and patience confusion and inaction go hand in hand. It's the reason that half of the apps I've purchased and that I need to transition to in terms of where my email, you know, my email uh, campaigns and, and my, you know, my weekly newsletter and, and, and things like that. Like I, I know I need a better platform, but right now that's just too big of a learning curve for me to, to dig into. So, okay, we'll, we'll get there eventually. You know, it's the reason that, you know, my streaming software is only, I'm only using half of the capabilities. I got exactly what I need right now. All those other bells and whistles, they'll come at a later time. I mean, in, in that case, I'm even paying for stuff I'm not using. But when you think about that, is that an ideal customer experience? No, the person who is going to, or the company who's going to show me how to get the most out of my investment and, and help me along the way, not just send me emails, like here's another webinar or whatever, but, but say, Hey, what are you, how are you using this? What's your experience? Like, what, what are you trying to do that you're not getting right now? Oh, that's mm. easier than you think. That's easier than you think. All right. Let me, let's book 15 minutes on a zoom or, you know, whatever platform and I'll show you how to do it. It really doesn't take as long as you think. Oh, okay. Now all of a sudden I've got a call to action to take a step, not a call to action to run a mile. It's yeah, it's, yeah. I, I, we may have digressed from your your uh, uh, original question there again. I'm good at that, Chris. I don't know if you. <laughs> no, no. I think it's good. It's it's adding some nice segues into into other areas as well. And um, I suppose what I wanted to, to to move on to now, we might have covered some of these, and we might not necessarily go through all three of them. But um, with it being a you know a new year, the start of the year, I always like to think, um, and I've been doing this for the last few years of my own life from a work and personal perspective is 
what's one thing I want to keep doing that was working for me last year? What's one thing that I want to introduce uh, and try uh, and maybe fail at, but at least I've tried it. And what's one thing I need to throw away that I know isn't helping me. So from a sales perspective, if you, if you think about those three, which one are you drawn to first of all, to, to share? I think I can go in that order. And um, I'll just tell you my answers to all three, and then you can pick which one you want to go deeper into. I, I suggest that um, you increase or you add thought to your process, right? Some critical thinking to your your sales process and, and really any process that you add. Don't just go rote, um, this is what I did just now and this is what I do next, right? Like add some critical thinking. It's actually a lot more fun. I know it's more work. It's actually a lot more fun if you're doing it right. What do I want to get rid of? Superstition. I want you to stop telling yourself stories that aren't true. And I want you to, um, and, and this is a, a side effect of critical thinking, right? Is, oh, you know, um, well, I, I called them three times and they didn't call me back. They must not want to talk to me. Well, no, they must not want to talk to you yet. Right? Let's, let's, let's really, let's challenge those superstitions. And the thing that I've been signing off you know, all my email communication for the last 12 months that I want to keep is I want people to keep moving forward. No step is too small if it's headed in the right direction. When you have the perspective to know that you're headed in the right direction, just keep taking steps. You'll get there when you get there. You'll get there as fast as you can. And maybe you can find some ways to take bigger steps. But as long as you are moving in the right direction, you're in great shape. So just keep moving forward. Mm. let's go back to the superstition piece because i think that's really interesting it's something i cool. i talk about a bit around these stories you, you shared an example there what's how do you how do you address that if, if people have have got that kind of mindset my friend anthony ian arena i'll drop his name because this is the first place i heard it i want to give him credit if you were doing what needed to be done you would be getting the results you're looking for and that frames for me a lot of the things that I do. Am I getting the results that I'm looking for? Am I making the money I want to make? Am I growing the business the way I want to grow it? You know, first you have to have an idea of what you want success to look like, which is tougher than a lot of people realize, particularly when you have your own business. When someone else gives you a quota, you know what success looks like. And you just, you do it or you don't. But if you're not getting there, what is the real reason? Is this something you're doing or is this something someone else isn't doing? My customers won't call me back. No, you're not giving them a compelling enough reason to call you back, right? How many emails have you ever sent, Chris, that say, please let me know if you have any questions. I'll hear from you soon. Thanks. And then you don't get a response. It's like, well, they don't respond to my emails. No, you didn't give them a reason to respond uh -huh. to your email. You did not have a call to action there. You said, call me if I have any questions. They didn't have any questions and they're not going to call you. They're not going to respond. Um, these things that when I mean superstition, I mean, these things that we take for granted because we've been told them a long time ago, or we've made them up or we've, um, searched and reached and grasped for, um, a reason why we've invented reasons why these things aren't happening. Mm. You know, let's think about the, um, the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, I don't know how to sell right now. Cause I don't know if I don't think anybody's buying right now. There were a lot of people buying a lot of things in the pandemic, 
right? And I'm not just saying, yeah, it was really good to be a Zoom rep in the pandemic. All of a sudden that became, you know, Zoom became uh, to video conferencing what Kleenex is to facial tissue, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, there's some serious branding there, you know, so it's great when you're, you fall into those situations, but telling yourself the story of, I need to stop selling right now because people are going to not respond very well. I think salespeople were necessary more than ever when the pandemic hit. Again, I love what you said just a few minutes ago. Stop thinking about what you sell and start thinking about the problems you solve. Come on, right? I've been talking a little bit about Zoom fatigue lately, and I put something out there on LinkedIn and Twitter a few weeks ago that said, you know, um, there's no such thing as Zoom fatigue. Your your prospects are just tired of hearing crappy sales calls. And people sent me links to studies and look, here it proves Zoom fatigue. I'm like, no, you missed my point. Of course there's Zoom fatigue. You have it. I have it. We all have it. I'm going to spend another six hours in front of my screen today, right? During the week on video calls, recording podcasts, you know, and, and, and that doesn't include the video work that I have to do to create things for my clients and coursework and, mm -hmm. and things like that. Like, yeah, I'm tired. My eyes are burning. I, I look at myself on film like, man, you look like garbage, dude. You got to get it together, <laughs> right? And it doesn't change what we have to do. So are you using Zoom fatigue as an excuse? Oh, my, my customers aren't calling me back because, or, or they don't want to take meetings with me because, you know, Zoom fatigue. Okay, that's a story you just made up. You're trying to give them an out. You're trying to give yourself an out. Get it together. Come on. Yeah, your customers with Zoom fatigue, with screen fatigue, yeah, um, they're so worn out that as soon as they're done with work, they go eat dinner and then they binge Netflix for three hours. Yeah, they're definitely yeah. fatigued from being in front of screens. <laughs> no, what that tells me is that if it's interesting enough, they'll watch. Mm. It's on you. Zoom fatigue is a you problem. If, you, yeah. if you're not interesting, they're not going to be interested. And if you're the one with Zoom fatigue, then let's call it what it is. It's burnout and you may very well be experiencing it. I've certainly experienced it in the past. I've certainly experienced it recently. Well, you got to find a way to give yourself a break so you can recharge, so you can get back out there because you have a job to do. That's the, that, that's where superstition gets in the way and create excuses, mm. untrue excuses for why you can't do your job. Um, yeah. I need to remind you, it's still your job. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's these, it's these limiting beliefs, isn't it? That we form within yeah. ourselves, and, you know, the old Henry Ford quote, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're always right in that. And I use the analogy, our minds are a bit like a Google search engine. Anything you type into it, it's going to come back Ooh. with evidence. So if you type in a statement, like if I typed into Google right now, the earth is flat, it's going to come back and tell me all the evidence to go. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> if I ask it, if I ask it a question, is the earth flat? Then I get a more uh, open opportunities. And I think it's very important when you're telling yourself these limiting beliefs is mm -hmm. how do you, what's the question here? Like, no one's going to want to pick up to me right now, or no one's going to, I'm not going to be able to get hold of my prospects. Well, how could I get hold of my prospects? Or I'm not going to hit my number this month. How could I hit my number this month? Because as you say, regardless of the problem or not, life still goes on. Things are still happening. And that isn't, that isn't going to hold up. And you're not going to, you get to the end of the month and you tell yourself that excuse back and you know you're not going to be happy with it. Mm -hmm. you, you know that's not you. And I think like these limiting beliefs that we create form that, that kind of, as you say, those stories of, you know, facts that we've just created of no one's going to buy right now. Well, it, I guarantee when you call everyone today, you're not going to be as persistent as you would be. You're not right. going to try and come back to them. You're not going to be as creative. You're not going to challenge them as much as you would do because in your head, you're wanting to prove it true. It's like when you say, Today is going to be a bad day. You will look for all the evidence to back it up because 
you know, if, whether it's raining or if you spill some coffee on you. Whereas if you t- if you say it's going to be a good day, it's not coincidence. You just start looking for those things. Yep. Or recognizing them. 100%. Uh, yeah. You know, I learned from Jeffrey Gittimer, the little gold book of yes attitude. Um, the way you define a positive attitude is uh, the way you think about the way you think. Or the way you, yeah, uh, define an uh, attitude is defined as the way you think about the way you think. And it works whether it's positive or negative, right? You you decide. I love your 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 search engine analogy. It's really clever. Yeah, you can take that. It's fine. Oh, not copyrighted. Oh, oh, cool. <laughs> we'll get to work on that. Well, um, <laughs> Um, well, Jeff, you know, I could, I could spend hours talking to you, but thank you so much for your, your time and your stories and, and your insights today. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, thanks for asking me. This was fun. You're welcome. You're welcome. And for the, uh, for the listeners, if they want to tune in to what's going on in your world or find out more about what you do, where's the best place for them to go? Um, so I'm going to send you to a couple places, which violates all of the marketing rules for calls to action. But um, you can always find me at jeffbajorek.com. And if you Google my name, you'll find me everywhere. I've done a pretty good job of that. Um, I have an online community that's free at rethinktheWayYouSell.com, And I think you should join that because we're having conversations like this there. And um, if you like podcasts, because you like this one, then check out Deeper Thought. Um, it's a podcast that I am putting out there now. I really believe it's my best work. There is a subscription that comes with it. It's $99 a year. But if you go to your podcast player right now and just search Deeper Thought, you will find a couple of episodes that my producer and I put out there for free on a regular basis. So people have a little bit of a taste of it. And uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to get someone to make an investment if they don't know what they're investing in. So um, even if you're not ever going to buy it, subscribe to that podcast. And then whenever we put a new one out there, um, you'll, you'll get that little that little snack as the kids are calling it these days great well thank you again jeff and for the listeners thanks for tuning in to another episode i'll catch you again soon hey people thanks for tuning in if you want more of this content then head over to our website salespsyche.co.uk psyche is p-s-y-c-h-e and sign up for our self-talk newsletter plus we also run another podcast master brilliance of resilience And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Always happy to chat. But for now, stay mindful. Catch you soon.